ESPN 97.7 and 100.1. Watch live on QSportsTalk.com. Watch out. Yeah, talking about way out there. Bayheim! Wow, is that silence in a little bit? Schrader takes. It's a two-man rush. Schrader steps Don't up. Fit. Pop pass up in the middle. Got Parker's it. got it. Room to run. 15-10. Hit. Hit in. Gregory touchdown. The Bills make me want to Allen looks to his left. Fires left side. In go to the end zone. Stephon Diggs makes the catch. Touchdown, Buffalo. Swing in the mix. It is over. The Boston Red Sox. Baseball's best all season long. They have won it all. This is On the Block. Yeah, I was driving home yesterday, so I heard some of your show. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Brent. Thank you. Thanks, Brent. Two, one. Here's X-Men. ESPN Radio 97.7, 100.1, ESPN Radio, Utah, Herd, a 96.5 FM, Herd, wherever you are, whatever you are doing on the ESPN app, another beautiful, it's not summer, it's not fall, it's kind of, where are we on the calendar, but who cares, it's warm out kind of day. Central New York, get one last ride on the boat in, get out to the golf course, get outside, man, and take us with you. Get some vitamin D on the ESPN app where you can listen to us or on QSportsTalk.com, another place you can take us on your mobile phone where you can watch the show. You can watch a radio program as it happens in full color. You can chat throughout the show. We got the live chat open for you to opine as much as you'd like, and you get the show within the show, meaning that when the radio audience goes to a commercial break, our friends at QSportsTalk.com do not. Just keep the mic on. We keep the camera on. We keep talking to you. You. Yes, you. We're so glad you're here, ladies and gentlemen. It is Football Friday. It is the first official Football Friday We did a little football Friday last week because we had some college football to get into, but now we we got it all. We got a full slate of National Football League games. We've got Syracuse and UConn to break down. We've got our fantasy expert, Brian Drake, who's also going to give you some great prop bets to look into for the weekend. I am happy to announce that uh, we have reformatted the NFL Blitz, by the way. I thought about it, and I said, you know, while I enjoyed uh, giving you all the nuggets you need to know about each game in the National Football League, I feel like you can get that elsewhere. I feel like you don't need me to do that for you as much as I enjoyed my uh, kind of homage to Chris Berman and doing what we called the fastest 10 minutes in radio. We're going we're gonna to kind of really focus in on six games. Every Friday, I'm going to pick what I feel are the the three best games in both the National Football League and college football. It's got a little college football flavor in there. We're going to give you three or four key points on each game. We're going to make a pick. We're going to keep it that simple. The pick six, ladies and gentlemen. We'll replace the NFL Blitz. We'll head down the home stretch with that. Later in the show, Eric Dungy is going to join us today as Eric Dungy 
will be throughout the college football season. Presented by Liverpool Pool and Spa. Looking forward to getting Eric's thoughts on Syracuse's win over Louisville, the Garrett Schrader breakdown, maybe some new wrinkles he saw in the Syracuse offense. Want to get his thoughts on Connecticut, of course, and that game and game two and taking that step forward as a team and all the perspective from not only uh, Eric on this show, but don't forget that Eric and Brian Higgins will join this here radio station, nqsportstalk.com, as soon as Syracuse and Connecticut is over tomorrow, 7 o'clock kickoff for postgame. Presented by Burdick Toyota, Burdick Lexus, Burdick BMW, and Burdick Ford. There is somebody that will be hosting pregame for you at about 5 p.m. tomorrow. That someone is me. So please tune in as we bring you pregame coverage presented by RomanoCars.com, Amtrak, and Ferron and Son Funeral Home as you perhaps drive to the Elton John Show at the Carrier Dome. Keep it locked right here. Listen to me and then... We'll break down everything you need to know. As it says right here, I mean, if if it's if it's on this piece of paper, it must be true. The most comprehensive breakdown of the upcoming game. I, that's beautiful, by the way. That's poetry. To Paulie write that, the most comprehensive breakdown of the upcoming game. That's, whew, I need a moment to take that in. That's beautiful, man. That's That's poetry. That's sheer poetry right there. You know what else was sheer poetry? Last night, friends. The bills make me wanna shout. Kick your heels up and shout. Throw your hands up and shout. Throw your head back and shout. Come on now, the bills are making it happen. You happen to see a little football game last night? Stand up now, come on and shout. Yeah, 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 yeah. For the Buffalo Bills. Shout it right now, baby. Scored 31 points. Come on, come on. And the defending Super Bowl champion, on, Los Angeles Rams, scored 10. Yeah. That equals a Buffalo victory. That equals 1-0. and That equals the road to Super Bowl 57, having a giant green check next to it, 1-0. and Everybody now. Let's go, Buffalo. The Bills make me wanna shout. Nobody circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills. Allen taking off. Can he get there? Stiff arm to get there. First down. He took Nick Scott. And he's telling him about it, too. It's only one game. It's week one. It's a complete overreaction in a lot of ways. But let me tell you what I'm tired of hearing today. What's wrong with the Rams? There's nothing wrong with the Rams. They just got their ass handed to them by a good football team. That's what happened last night. I'm going to go over a few key things that I saw in this game last night and try not to overreact too much, but how can you not, given how well Josh Allen played? I mean, the stiff arm was great, the stretch a la uh, Michael Jordan and Space Jam reaching for the touchdown, the throw to Diggs. I mean, you name it. Josh Allen did Josh Allen things. Josh Allen had one of the most accurate days he's had as a quarterback. Josh Allen made a few mistakes that you can honestly say. Every time Josh Allen throws a pick these days, I'm like, ooh, what did the receiver do? Right? Like, it's never his fault. All those things were true. But not to be that guy, but I'm going to be that guy. And, I, you know, I've got my usual things that I listen to during the day, as I'm sure you guys do, until 4 o'clock comes and the world shuts down and you're completely honed in on this show, as I would imagine. But 
It was more what's wrong with the Rams versus what's right with the Bills. It's okay. I understand. People are having a hard time coming to terms with the fact that the Buffalo Bills are the Super Bowl favorites. They are the best team in the National Football League, and they have to prove people right as opposed to prove people wrong, which is their typical style. The Bills have fallen many times. I'll get the gifts from you guys. I'll get the wide right and all that. Go ahead. I don't care. What you saw last night was a great football team beat another good football team, but they undressed that team at home, by the way, or was it home? Because when Matthew Stafford has to use the, the silent count in his own stadium because there's 20,000 Bills fans, the Bills Mafia showing strong at SoFi Stadium, that's a problem. That's not the first time that's happened, by the way. L.A.'s a weird market. You know, fans come from all over the place. The L.A. market is just getting used to having their teams back, and it's a strange market that the NFL has to be in because it's the number two television market in the country and all that. And here you have the Rams win the Super Bowl last year, but it's about as superficial as it gets, right? True blue, in some cases literally true blue fans, in the stands causing the home quarterback to go to a silent count last night. So let's stop this what's wrong with the Rams stuff and start talking about what's right with the Bills. As a matter of fact, we're going to wake up the voice guy here and we're going to give you five things that's right with the Bills. Number one. Brandon Bean built himself one of the best pass rushes in football. That was a problem for Buffalo last year. They had some names. They had some draft picks. But they just couldn't quite get the pass rush that the number one defense in football should get. And I do want to remind you that that was the number one defense in football last year. But to be fair, the number one defense in football didn't show up when it mattered most. I mean, that was just a bananas, bonkers, awful wall, defense doesn't matter kind of game in losing to the Kansas City Chiefs and the 13 seconds that resulted, but that was more of a bad coaching decision by Sean McDermott that put two seconds on the clock that allowed Patrick Mahomes to go bing, bang, boom and do Patrick Mahomes things. That was not the defense's fault. That was a coaching decision in that case, okay? And I love Sean McDermott, but let's be real about this. Brandon Bean goes out there and says, what do we need? We need a pass rush. Vaughn Miller's obvious. I mean, Vaughn Miller last night playing basically half the snaps was making any Los Angeles Ram who attempted to guard him look absolutely silly. Two sacks in that game, pressures, just the presence on that defense. We talked about the great video he put together before the season started, the burn it all video, which is what I was saying a moment ago. You can wide write me and all this stuff all you want. Who cares? This team didn't play on those teams. They don't remember that stuff. They are playing for what they are playing for this year for each other and beating up the defending Super Bowl champions on opening night. The Bills had 19 team pressures last night. The Rams had five. With Aaron Donald and a pretty good defense, not teaming anymore with Vaughn Miller, of course. Jordan Phillips, who came back to Buffalo on a one-year $5 million contract, had more pressures alone than the Rams had as a football team last night. The Bills rotate in defensive linemen left and right. Every time Stafford looked across that line, he saw somebody different, he saw somebody fresh, and he saw somebody in his face constantly and consistently. And that is going to be the key difference for the Bills. How do you get better? How does a team that's been good and has been in the playoffs and has had a stock roster 
get better? Well, you get Vaughn Miller, you beef up the defensive line with some names that aren't quite as sexy as Vaughn Miller, draft well, and it all kind of comes together now. I mean, if Ed Oliver and Jordan Phillips keep that up, good luck. I, I wish you well in trying to consistently pass the football on that defense. That's the biggest takeaway from last night. Number two. Yeah, Josh Allen did a few Josh Allen things. 26 of 31, 297 yards, three touchdowns. He completed 83% of his passes, the best ever in a regular season game. The interceptions he threw, you look around and like, okay, whose fault is that? Because it wasn't 17. Stretching for touchdowns, stiff-arming dudes, the throw to Diggs, the throw to Gabe Davis, a couple other throws that only Josh Allen can make. I thought poor Chris Collinsworth was going to pass out last night in awe of what he saw from Josh Allen. Because as uh, the wise philosopher Oscar the Grouch once said, which uh, brings me to my next point. Number three. Who's trash now, Jalen Ramsey? And as Oscar once sang, I love trash. If Josh Allen is trash, I love me some trash. Great call on that one, Jalen. Because Jalen Ramsey said that, then Jalen Ramsey last night gave up a perfect score in coverage. Jalen Ramsey, when four of the last six football games he's played, has given up a big touchdown similar to the one that Stephon Diggs scored on his butt last night. Third and four. Bills at their own 47. He's in the gun. Gets a snap. Pocket collapsing, gets out of pressure, runs to his right, throws it downfield, looking for Diggs. Diggs stops, and he makes the catch, and he's in the end zone. Touchdown, Buffalo, Stephon Diggs. Adjusted as the ball was hung up high by Josh Allen. That is, of course, the voice of the Bills. John Murphy is heard on K-Rock, our bro stat station and home of the Bills. And Murph will be joining us every Thursday throughout the NFL season. Our first chat was yesterday. So, yeah, who's trash now? You're trash, Jalen Ramsey. Number four. Gabe Davis heard about it. Talked about it with Murph yesterday. I've been trying to tell you guys. Pick Gabe Davis in your fantasy league. Most of you that are in tune to this stuff have and did and, and know and are savvy. But that four-touchdown game he had against Kansas City, that was not a fluke. That was somebody at the peak of what he is now. Diggs and Davis are one of the best one-two combos at wide receiver in the National Football. He gets open, the wide-open touchdown earlier. The He had a, a, another deep pass that set up a touchdown. He's a problem, which allows Diggs to get open and go one-on-one and blaze by Jalen Trash Ramsey on one side of the field. Isaiah McKenzie gets in there last night, scores a touchdown. By the way, greatest gender reveal ever. Isaiah McKenzie catches a touchdown, looks into the camera, and says, it's a boy, revealing uh, the, the sex of his uh, sister's baby. I topped that one. I thought there was another one because somebody ran on the field and it was like these peak, uh, pink streamers on the It was, I don't know, that was weird. It was one of those you know moments, some kind of protest or something. Anyway, there's a lot of gender reveals, it seemed, last night. But good luck guarding that. And there's three or four names I didn't even mention that can get out there for this Bills receiving court. And finally, number five. What a gutsy move by McDermott. And look, if he beat him out, he beat him out. But you're telling me Christian Benford, the six-rounder out of Villanova, starts over your first-round pick in Kyer Elam from Miami. That's gutsy. 
because you're putting him on, at times, Cooper Cup, who was only the Super Bowl MVP last year, who was only the best wide receiver in football last year and is probably still has that title. By the way, Cooper Cup made a brilliant touchdown catch. That's one of the best touchdown catches I have seen. Period, end of story. The toe tap, the way he got in bounds was beautiful, but it was probably the lone highlight of the night for the Los Angeles Rams. That's a gutsy move right there, but that shows you how well Brandon Bean has been drafting over these past few years, filling in holes. There's a foundation. There is a core. There is a team that is capable of being on the doorstep of the Super Bowl already. We've seen that the last two years. Where can you plug in the strengths? Where can you find just those few little, you know, you know how you paint the wall and you're looking at it like, Ooh, missed a little spot here, missed a little spot there. That's what Brandon Bean did. And you find a guy like that in the sixth round who plays so well that you're putting him out there last night against Cooper Cup and for the most part held his own. Cooper Cup's just going to do Cooper Cup things. They let some first downs go. He scored the touchdown, but I don't think anybody walked away from from that saying, boy, that kid got torched. Not in the least bit. And if he does, well, you have your first rounder. They can swap in for him, and you can hold down the fort until Trey White comes back in a few weeks. Oh, yeah, you got a, a pro bowler returning from injury in a couple of weeks to add to that defense. But as I said on yesterday's show, what – how can I frame this? I was not concerned about that for two reasons. One, the pass rush would make up for what was behind them. And two, sometimes Buffalo's best defense is his offense. I mean, they had four turnovers last night, and it didn't matter. Let me repeat that. They had four turnovers last night, and it did not matter. They became the second team since 2014 to have at least four turnovers, but win a game by at least 21 points. That's how good that team is. And that's the story. That's how good the Bills are. What's wrong with the Rams? I don't know. They'll figure it out. They're probably going to be okay. They had some guys out last night due to injury. Hey, Cam Akers, are you still on that team? Fantasy owners last night just screaming into a void. A lot of people had Cam Akers in their lineups, high on their draft boards, and he was essentially ignored by the genius Sean McVay. The young gun never lost his first game. Yeah, well, meet Sean McDermott and that Buffalo Bills defense and Josh Allen and that team. It's one game. I get it. But that's why they're favored to win. That's why everybody picked this team. They went out there and shredded a good team at home before one of the bigger television audiences you're going to see all year. It's going to be bumps in the road. It's not going to be like that week in and week out. But what they should, you know what? Here's the scary thing. This is not just me as a Bills fan, okay? They didn't even play, I think, up to 70% of their capacity. That first half, and I expected this in game one, it was messy. There were turnovers. There were things that just happened in game one. But, boy, in the second half, just get out of the way before the train tracks knock you off. Think about when Trey White comes back. Think about when they really get into a groove. And you got to stay healthy and all those things I'm supposed to attach to conversations like this. But that's a scary team. And we saw why last night. So keep doubting them. Keep doing that. Keep looking at the other side. And what's wrong with this and what's wrong with that? No. What's right with the Buffalo Bills is what you should be talking about today. And on that note, we shall break. And we will switch gears and talk some Syracuse football because – Every Friday, we are blessed to have the great Eric Dungy 
all-timer, Syracuse quarterback. Break down the win over Louisville, look ahead to UConn, what he saw from a quarterback's perspective and how Syracuse keeps the momentum going. That's the trick, right? We'll talk to Eric Dungy about all that coming up, presented by Liverpool Pool and Spa. We're so glad you're here on a football Friday on the block ESPN Radio, QSportsTalk.com. ESPN 97.7 and 100.1. Watch live on QSportsTalk.com. This is On the Block with Brent Axe. That it is, friends. We welcome you back, or we welcome you to the program, however that uh, describes you. Billy Whitaker, Cars and Trucks, brings it to you. Happy Football Friday, friends. Happy Victory Friday, a rare Victory Friday for your Buffalo Bills. They're all over the place this year. We could have Victory Fridays. We could have Victory Tuesdays, the usual Victory Monday. They play on like every day of the week. They go from the Thursday night game last uh, night to you think uh, Buffalo's going to be a little revved up for the Bills and Titans on Monday night football coming up? They got a big gap in between games. That's about as big a gap as you can get. It's 11 days in between games. So that's a lot of time for Bills fans to get revved up for that. We are going to be at Heritage Hill Brewhouse next Monday, the 19th, day of that game. Looking forward to that and looking forward to they. Uh, I was shown a photo that their pumpkin beer is out, so uh, Uncle Brent might have to uh, indulge a little. The guy is drunk! While we're there next Monday, and we're going to meet Josh the Goat, Josh Allen, the Goat. Letting that one settle in. He's the goat. He's a literal goat. His name is Josh. We're looking forward to meeting him next week. Uh, so we'll be there Monday the 19th. Keep that in mind. We'll give you more details on that as we get a little closer. Uh, let's give you some details on Syracuse and UConn right now. Look, we all know this is a game Syracuse should win if they remember to show up on time. I've been impressed with UConn. I've been impressed with how they played against Utah State. That's it. Now, that was the first game of the year, and we know how weird first games can be. But look, Utah State, who got trucked by Alabama last week, but who doesn't? Top 25 team last year, won their conference last year. For UConn in that first game to hold their own, I believe they covered. They were big underdogs in that game. That's impressive. The problem is they lost their starting quarterback and their number one wide receiver in that game. UConn does have one of the leading rushers in college football. Okay, Take it for what it's worth, given the teams they've played, Utah State and Central Connecticut State. Like I said, Utah State's pretty darn good. He's from Rochester, too, so there's a cool local connection. Nathan Carter, he's got 313 yards. It's second in the nation. So, And he's a very similar runner. I mean, I don't want to compare anybody to Sean Tucker here. We would not be pleased with that. But he's a similar runner, similar build, about 5'10". But, look, Syracuse practices against that every day. So that shouldn't be a problem. You've got a freshman quarterback out there. We mentioned Taquan Roberson got hurt game one, tore his ACL. Roberson came from Penn State, four-star recruit, okay? Now you're putting in a freshman in Zion Turner who, look, had a terrible uh, pick on the goal line last week. This has been a turnover-prone team. They've had some fumbles. They didn't lose all of them, but... Given what Syracuse did to Malik Cunningham last week, and I understand the Dome crowd was a big, big part of that, the false starts, but the turnovers, that has nothing to do with the crowd. That's Garrett Williams doing Garrett Williams things. That's Derek McDonald stepping in for an injured Stephon Thompson and getting an interception. 
That's Steve Winton popping the ball out and you know basically like running over Malik Cunningham to get the football. That's effort. That's determination. That's just how locked in that defense is no matter who they're playing. But football is an emotional game, and think of all the emotion that went into that one. First home game, whole training camp to think about an ACC opponent, primetime game, you want to come out there and look good, and Louisville had owned you. So there was a lot of extra juice there. What Syracuse has to be wary of here, and I'm going to play a couple clips from uh, Dino Babers from his show last night. Thanks, Brent. You're welcome, Coach. But what you have to be wary of is, look, this is essentially their Super Bowl. It's a night game. They want to pack the rent, as the, I think was a Rensselaer Field it's called. It's not a rivalry. Stop calling it a rivalry, okay? No offense to our friends at CNY Central. I love you guys. But I saw a tweet today saying something like the rivalry renewed. This is not a rivalry. Syracuse played UConn in the Big East, which was a crappy football league, and that series was never close. Either Syracuse would beat their ass or the other way around. One game was close in that series, one. Yeah, and Paul Pascaloni one year came back to the Dome as the Connecticut coach in, what was that, 2012. Stop overusing the word rivalry. That was never a rivalry. That is a fierce as it gets basketball rivalry. That was never a football rivalry. It was just a matter of conference convenience, if you want to call it something. Okay, let's not hype something to be what it is. I did an interview this week. Shout out to one of my students, Jacob. And that was the pitch. He was like, eh, I'm doing a feature on this game, and I want to talk about the old rivalry. I said, I'll do the interview, but let me tell you something. This ain't a rivalry. It never was. So just so you know, there were some moments, okay? But let's not overuse the word rivalry because it's not. Here's what it is, though. It's a big deal for UConn to have an ACC team, a familiar team, some bubbling feelings from those basketball matchups. Guarantee we're going to see the six-overtime highlight at some point Saturday night. As a matter of fact, that was one of our over-unders on the show yesterday. I did take the under. I think they'll only show it once, but that's going to happen. We're going to see as much as Jim Beheim and Jim Calhoun on the screen, as much as we see Jim Mora Jr. and Dino Babers on the screen. That's a rivalry. This is a football series between two teams in the same general region playing each other. But it is a big deal out there. So you got to be wary of that. You have to be more of a self-starter on defense. You have to be more of a self-starter generally as a team because you don't have that crowd at the Dome just revving you up. But, man, look, football is a weird sport, and stuff happens, but – As Dino said earlier this week, and I played the clip a couple of times, it's how that team played, that they just have to tap into that again. That takes care of a lot of things. When you're playing that determined and that hard, think of the Steve Linton play I just described. Scrapping, fighting, clawing, being where you need to be, the way they hit, the way that offense throws off the defense and and plays the way and plays as hard as they do. That's a physical offensive line that – played great a week ago. This is not even close to as good of a team as Louisville was, and Syracuse owned that team. Doesn't mean it's going to carry over this week. Football's football, and you got to line them up and Jimmy's and Joe's and all that, but I fail to see the logic. I fail to see the way that UConn makes this a competitive football game, other than Syracuse completely just throws up all over itself, has five turnovers, and 
just forgets how to play football for a minute. Short of that, UConn will make some plays. UConn might have us like, oh, look at these guys. But they're not winning this game. And Syracuse, by all measures, should win this game, certainly covering the 20 points. Okay, Alabama's a 20-point favorite over Texas, and I understand that's Alabama, but Syracuse being a 20-point favorite over Connecticut is, that's just, the Vegas doesn't want the line skewing one way or the other too hot. Like, you can make them a four-touchdown favorite as far as I'm concerned. But that's how I think. The head coach thinks differently. Let's uh, take a look, uh, take a listen, pardon me, to what Dino Baber said a little bit about this UConn team that Syracuse is facing. You know, this is a dangerous opponent. People are keep telling us how this, you know, they're going to the next game. I can't tell you how many times I've been Coach Mora. Check my record. How many times I've been Coach Mora, and they're giving us a big check, and they think they're going to blow us out, and then they're, they've got a whole bunch of explaining to do to a whole bunch of administrators after the game is over. It's, it's happened. And I've done it. Other coaches have done it. And I just want to make sure that these guys understand that those guys put their pants on just like us, and they've got a lot of pride. A little more from Babers here on UConn. Uh, he was pretty impressed what he saw in that Utah State. Going to Utah State and playing Utah State at Utah State, which I do believe is at altitude. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, that is a different type of program. And then, again, anytime you're playing in the state of Utah with uh, University of Utah in the Big 12, I mean the Pac-12, and then uh, BYU Independent, that when you play Utah State, you're also playing uh, – you know, the Mormon faith, and those guys are normally two years older, so you can get some really mature offensive line and defensive line and make it really difficult out there. So, Babers on his matchup with Jim Mora Jr., who takes over at Connecticut. Coach Mora and those guys are going to be ready. You're talking about a coach that's been not only his coach professionally, but also collegiately at some of the prestigious collegiate programs in the, in the country, along with professional. And I know that he's going to have his guys and his coaches ready to go. Now, that's on Connecticut specifically here uh, as we kind of – it's always weird because you get that win and you want to flush the win, you want to look forward to it, but you you have a press conference, you have a radio show, you have people excited and amped up, so you're kind of on that teeter-totter back and forth between what you did and what you need to do, right? But as Dino said about this win last night, he's happy for his players and he – a little subtle shade uh, thrown in here. Listen. For the young men to play that type of game coming out of the shoot against that high-quality opponent, some people had to pick third or fourth in the conference. I just, I'm really excited for them. So now you got a chance. But to go out and do it the way they did it, that means something way more. And uh, it tells me that, you know, we got a chance. Like, dumb and dumber, we've got a chance. Now we've got to really lock in and we can't let uh, the distractions or, as Coach Saban likes to say, the rat poison (laughs) get us. It was downright crucial that Syracuse had a good first half against Louisville. They scored early, got the crowd into it. Check, 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 and check. I think that's important in this game, too, to take the UConn crowd out of it, establish who you are, and, and make them scramble with a freshman quarterback. Here's Dino on how important it was scoring last week early on against Louisville. I thought that was extremely important. If you're going to point to the one thing, uh, even though it was a field goal, to take the opening kickoff and, and maneuver 
your way down to field goal range with all the trouble that we've had in uh, field goal kicking and all that stuff and then to be able to come out and bang put one through the uprights and then kick off the ball uh, back to them and then get a stop now the big boo-boo if you will from last week's game which Syracuse was able to overcome the fact that you can make 18 penalties irrelevant really says how well you played and how well your defense played because most of the penalties were procedural stuff on the offensive side of the ball, but got to be cleaned up. How do you do that between week one and week two? And then uh, just sometimes where a guy was supposed to be on the line of scrimmage and unbalanced lines and he wasn't. And, uh, you know, we had, I've never seen where you had 15 penalties that were less than 100 yards. 18 penalties for 107 yards. It's, it's, it was amazing. It was every five-yard penalty in the world that you could throw. It had nothing to do with physicality, which really makes my stomach turn. But it is an interesting point, right? Because there's a lot of five yards, this and that, and false start, and lined up here, and just, yeah. But the difference was they weren't rattled by it. They didn't fall in a hole because of it. It wasn't the proverbial snowball rolling down the hill leading to, boy, this team is just a mess, and you can see it, and they're scrambling, and people are like looking at the side like, what the hell is going on? It's just they overcame it. End of the day, Louisville sees Tucker go in motion. I wrote a column about this today. I hope you guys can check it out. But there was a couple of things I really noticed in, you know, not to sound like a coach, but I uh, watched the film, you know, up my bad Pascaloni impression. I, you know, we watched the film, you know, and uh, saw a lot of things. But no, I did go back and watch the film, and I noticed a lot of pre-snap motion, which has not been a thing. How locked in Louisville became. I mean, they made the adjustment. They saw that Tucker was going to be a threat catching the ball. Somebody catching and running on a 55-yard score early in the game tends to get your attention, but. It was on the other side of the field. The deep routes that were sold on the far side while Tucker's running on the right sideline sold that play. Tucker, just right before the snap, leaks out as a receiver to the left. Now, this is in the fourth quarter when Schrader ran in his touchdown. Louisville freaks out. He goes out to the left. Devon Cooper comes in towards the center. Busts up the middle, he draws two defenders. Because Louisville, right at the snap, is like, what is happening? Schrader walks in for the touchdown, right? We were talking about this with Eric Dungy earlier. What Robert and I has brought to the table is not only energy, a new approach. It is going to take half a season for teams to fully have what they need on film to put together a game plan for Syracuse. That will not always be an advantage. There's an expiration date on that advantage, but it is an advantage. Robert and I has got to be pretty happy with how they played in that game, considering, yeah, it was 17-7 going into the fourth quarter, but, boy, you never got the sense Louisville was going to get back into it. And then it's football, and one turnover or breakaway play happens, and it swings the game the other way. But, man, never. And I mean this. It's easy to say, hindsight being 20-20, never that I have the feeling that Louisville was getting back in that game that late. Once we got into – and Syracuse scored pretty much right at the start of the fourth quarter to make it 24-7. 24-7, good night. Frankly, that's how I felt a lot about Syracuse in recent years because their offense was so stagnant and stale and there were certain deficits that 
you knew they couldn't overcome, that aren't that tough to overcome in football. It's only a game, but the big thing that I think we saw from that offense was creativity. It's given defenses headaches. You've got to account for Schrader because you know he can run. Here's Tucker, who will be in that backfield until a half second before the snap, and then he'll run to the left, line up as a receiver, and, and the defense is like, what is happening right now? And you got to use that to your advantage. Think how much of an advantage it could be for Syracuse that you didn't hear a lot of Devon Cooper. You didn't hear a lot about Damian Alford. You didn't hear a lot about some other receivers out there who played a key role, blocking, selling routes to get Tucker open, get some other guys open. We've talked about certainly Gadsden and his role at tight end. I mean, there's gadgets here. There's options here. UConn's not a team that should be able to stop that. UConn's not, and Jim Moore Jr. is a smart coach. Don't get me wrong here, but you got to have the Jimmys and Joes to execute the plan. They don't. Syracuse wins 42-10. Now, don't forget our pregame coverage tomorrow right here on ESPN Syracuse and QSportsTalk.com, presented by RomanoCars.com, Amtrak, and Ferron and Son Funeral Home. I will be with you starting at 5 o'clock, right up until kickoff. Looking forward to breaking down. It says right here, the most comprehensive breakdown of the game. Ooh, pressure's on. I better get going on that. So this time tomorrow, I will be talking to you right here on these airwaves and on QSportsTalk.com, getting you ready for Syracuse and UConn. And then after the game, Eric Dungy, who we had on earlier, and will join us every Friday here on the block. And Brian Higgins, take your calls, break down the action on the Burdick Toyota, Burdick Lexus, Burdick BMW, Burdick Ford post-game show. When we come back, we're going to keep talking football, but we're going to bump it up to the NFL level, and we are going to talk fantasy football, some great prop bets for the weekend, and uh, happy and thrilled to welcome back our friend Brian Drake, our fantasy expert. He will join us next. Stay right there. <laughs> 